I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. My name is Garrett Morrison, and I am here with Andy Johnson. How are you doing, Andy? Garrett, I'm doing wonderful. We are, uh, we're in California. We just finished the, the Boomerang, one of our events. It was a great day out there. And uh, looking forward to talk about Oak Hill and uh, the upcoming major. It's, it's right here. We're, we're in the peak major season now. The PGA Championship is coming up in a couple of weeks, and we thought we'd get in early and talk about Oak Hill Country Club, which we saw late last year. Um, we played the course and talked to the club historian, talked to Andrew Green, the consulting architect for the club. Uh, and so we have some thoughts about that course, as well as some information from from Green and Belts that we're going to play for you. But yeah, we, we are face-to-face here, actually, which is an unusual circumstance. So we'll see how this... Uh, podcast goes i think there will be a, a different dynamic here yeah it's always nice doing doing them in person there's uh you don't have to deal with uh any internet issues any any lag um <laughs> and it's just uh it's much easier you, you know you all of a sudden get the the in-person natural conversational gestures that right. that lead you to a little bit less interruptions i feel like and just a, a little bit more uh real conversation a little bit more back and forth. Uh, so we will come back with me and Andy giving our take on Oak Hill after a little bit of tape from Fred Belts, first of all, the club historian at Oak Hill, and Andrew Green, who led the recent renovation slash restoration of Oak Hill. I think we can call this a historical renovation, right? Which uh, that, That's the Hans term. I'm not sure if Andrew necessarily embraces that term himself but he also he talks about the renovative things that he's done at this course he he wasn't just looking to purely restore exactly what Donald Ross built here yeah and i think you know while we're at the top here i mentioned i think we have our oak hill preview video yes coming out on wednesday uh of this week so the day after this podcast drops on youtube you can find a this is about seventeen minute video with mm-hmm. Fred and Andrew that will put some visuals to the words that are you know these are different words I believe uh, some of the same some some different yeah there's some overlap but yeah right the the edi- uh, the video is is more kind of edited and and a little more uh, concise whereas we're gonna play you a bit more of the conversation that we had with Fred and Andrew about Oak Hill. But yeah, the video we, uh, Cameron and I worked on, you know, making it kind of a streamlined narrative. So I think people will enjoy it. Yeah. So that, that goes up on our YouTube channel on Wednesday and, uh, it'll give you, I always, I always like the visual aspect of those videos, being able to see what everybody's talking about. So Check that out. Uh, Garrett and Cameron did a uh, wonderful job putting it together. So that'll be out. And uh, we'll start our kind of march towards the PGA in Rochester and uh, and hope for good weather. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's looking good actually. It's looking all right. I, I mean, unbelievably, if this works out and they get through this PGA Championship without it being super soggy and gray in Rochester, that would be unbelievable. So I'm really hoping for that because, you know, certain aspects of this course will come alive a little bit. If it's nice and firm and dry out there, it'll play a bit differently. If it's if it's wet, then, you know, I mean, I, I think there will be a sort of predictable uh, set of potential winners who are, who are out there at Oak Hill. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later in this podcast. Um, so first, though, we're going to throw it to Fred Belts. Again, club historian at Oak Hill. He's going to talk to you for about you know five minutes about the history of the course, how it was founded, and some of the interesting things that happened in its early history with regard to trees. <laughs> uh, trees are a big part of Oak Hill's history, and, and Fred Belts is going to tell you a bit about that. And then we'll go to some tape from our interview with Andrew Green. And, and Andrew is going to talk about Donald Ross, and he'll talk about the, the course design, and he'll talk a bit about how it evolved and what he tried to do with his recent work at the course. So those are the two things back-to-back that you're going to hear right now, and let's just go to it. All right, so getting into some of the history here. Sure. Could you tell me a, a simple version of the founding mm-hmm. of this club and how it eventually came to occupy where we the are. piece of land that we're sitting on right now? Happy to. So uh, the oldest club in Rochester is the Country Club of Rochester. It was founded in 1895. Um, a number of years later, 1901, uh, and... Um, it could be, you know, that was also the year when Harry Varden did the tour of the United States. Uh, and uh, and so there was a lot of excitement about golf. Anyway, a number of, of business individuals and professionals in Rochester decided they wanted their own golf course. And in October of 1901, uh, they leased uh, a roughly... 90 acres and uh, and an old farmhouse with a barn uh, along the Genesee River. And um, uh, to the best of my knowledge, there's no record of who designed the course. I sometimes joke it was just some guys with a shovel and, and little flower, uh, clay flower pots, you know. And, um, you know, it was very simple. It was kerosene lamps. There was no running water in the, in the, in the clubhouse. The guys changed their clothes in the, in the barn out back. And it was just nine holes very simply laid out. Well, well, over the next decade, the club was very successful. It grew and, uh, the decision was made to expand it to 18 holes and, and have a really nice, clubhouse, a very commodious clubhouse. And they did that. That was built in 1911. It was designed in 09, built in 10, and and opened in 11. I did find an article back from 1909 where it talked about the addition of the extra nine holes and that a, a golf expert, Donald Ross from Boston, had assured the club that there would be ample room now, uh, I'd love to know whether it was Donald Ross actually came there, but there, to the best of my knowledge, there are no records of that. But anyway, that was built in 1911. 
Um, and everybody was happy. They had the river to, to canoe in and sail in and they, you know, and, and golf course, uh, 18 hole golf course and, and a, uh, um, you know, tennis courts and the rest. Um, fast forward to uh, the early 1920s, 1922, um, uh, George Eastman, who founded Eastman Kodak Company, uh, along with, um, uh, leadership from the University of Rochester wanted to expand the 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 campus for the University of Rochester at a medical and dental center and there were a lot of choices uh, but they ultimately decided that they wanted the Oak Hill property and so there was uh, some negotiations they raised the money uh, long story short there was a land swap where we gave up the 90 acres in the clubhouse along the, the river for 355 acres here uh, to Donald Ross designed golf courses and the, uh, the, the Tudor style clubhouse that we're sitting in. So I would say that it was probably the greatest land swap in the history of, of, of Western New York, if not New York State. But, um, and so here we were, uh, in 1926, the, the, both the East and the West courses opened. And, um, there was, um, you know, everybody was very happy. I mean, you've got two courses and a great clubhouse. There was no landscaping. And so I, I won't bore you with the whole story, but, uh, Dr. John R. Williams, who is a retired physician, um, decided he wanted to take a crack at, at the at the um, uh, landscaping, and proceeded to have he was an amateur arborist. Proceeded to have people from all over the world send him acorns from the great forests of England and Europe and Asia, and uh, he sprouted them in coffee cans in his backyard, and then brought them over here and created little nurseries. Um, and, um, someone once asked him, and, and so the oak trees that you see here are, are, um, Dr. Williams's work. And, you know, that was, that was almost a hundred years ago. And, um, someone once asked Dr. Williams how many trees had he planted. And he said he stopped counting at 30,000. So, you know, and there are reports of, you know, 70,000 oak trees on the property. I haven't counted them myself, but that's what I understand. Before golf was here, it what was, was this land like? Yeah, this land, this, this property, uh, and if you think about it, no one wants to take valuable property and turn it into a golf course. I mean, if it's treed, there's value in the lumber. If the soil is good, it's valued as, as, as farmland. This was burnt out farmland, basically treeless. Um, uh, and, uh, so it was, um, a, it was, you know, a choice place for the university to buy as part of the swap. We did have Donald Ross come out and walk the property. And he came back and he said the rolling hills and the, and the Allen's Creek that flows through it would be uh, a perfect place for, for uh, 36 holes of golf. How do you think Donald Ross's 
that design philosophy was embodied by the original East Course at Oakville. I felt from the first time I got on property there that the, the, the topography was really the star of the entire design. There's kind of two high points. There's one in the front nine that kind of then connects into the first part of the back nine, kind of three green, 12 green, two green, that area. And then there's kind of 14, 15, 16, that ridge there. And so those became these dominant positions to play around or, or from. And the sequence of golf holes that he utilized that section at the, at the front nine, so two, three, four T, and then 12 green, um, 13 T, just developed some really interesting opportunities for unique golf. So I felt like he really utilize that piece of ground well. And then if you think about the dimensions of the parcel, that he really only had space to utilize that section kind of out where new five green is out in that direction. There were only so many different ways he could potentially use that. And then how that interconnected back with the rest of the golf course, um, I think is, is quite interesting and unique and, and beautiful. And then that he had to create 36 holes and of the 36 holes there, I'm, I struggled to think of a shot that's replicated, you know. And so that ground has some flatness to it in places, kind of along Allen's Creek. The, the ground gets a little flat. But then you have these kind of little dominant features that he played um, over and around and off of that I think starts to create the different shots that the player has to play to be successful. How did uh, Robert Trent Jones change the East Coast? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Jones was a native of that area, so it had to have been hugely important to him. Um, all the historical evidence shows that the greens were significantly, the perimeters of the greens were significantly adjusted. The putting surfaces themselves, maybe just minor adjustments, if any. And so the style of bunkering, bunker placement, the width of the golf course all changed pretty dramatically with RTJ. Um, a little more kind of artificial features, uh, a little more earth moving, and a lot of back bunkers that were flashed up, you know, maybe a little more, well, definitely more modern, but uh, maybe a little more of kind of this visual inspiration versus kind of the feature being the star itself. And, you know, I think the golf course had the routing and the property has always been outstanding. And I think it was just this transition of trying to make it more relevant to the modern game was maybe the directive with RTJ. When you dig through the club documents, there's a lot of interesting um, kind of discussion of, of what was happening, why it was happening, and what was done. And I think it comes back to this idea that a lot of golf courses post-war were such, you know, they lived such a hard life over a period of time. They had to do something. And the original architects weren't around. Ross wasn't necessarily around in, in that time period. Um, and so they had to switch directions. And so instead of embracing what they had, they kind of went a newer direction. Uh, but they knew, thankfully, they knew the routing and the property were great. They didn't need to mess with that. It was more kind of the window dressing. Then subsequently, how did Tom Fazio uh, change these course? So I think that discussion, again, there's a lot of 
club documentation about what the golf course kind of needed, I guess, needed to stay relevant from a modern championship um, venue. And a lot of discussions about gallery flow um, and the things that, you know, today we think about build out, but then it was really about just getting people around. Really, there wasn't build out, but there was a need to move people through a space. And then also a need to lengthen the golf course and provide a, a modern challenge. So a lot of those adjustments that happened after RTJ and that kind of the Fazio timeline was really to address those needs. So they made significant adjustments to what was the fifth and sixth holes. Um, and then also things like adding the pond on the 15th green and doing some things that made for this, you know, great major championship venue, but probably departed a little bit from the original foundation of the, of the golf course. Uh, when, when you won that job and, you know, what were, what were some of the key issues you thought needed to be addressed with the East course? Again, I, I think since its inception, the routing and the property were great. So we didn't need to do a whole lot with that. I felt strongly that number one, the greens needed to be recaptured as much as we could do to get the original shapes back on the ground, these unique corners and edges. There's some pretty wild green shapes that we reconnected to. It allowed the golf course to start to have more variety of setup options. When I arrived, either from years of bunker sand and or all these other things that had happened, a lot of the greens were kind of flipped up on the edges. And so most of the usable space was right down the center of the, of the green. And so when we started to look at the raw shaping and you could get, you know, a front right, a back left, you know, in these little edges, now all of a sudden the golf course could play in, in vastly different ways. So I thought that was huge, number one. Number two, I felt like the presentation of the golf course needed to be more authentic and better connected to the some of the original imagery that we had from Ross's time. So that really meant bunkers, fairway lines, you know, simplifying things. I, how would you describe the style of bunker shaping that your, your team carried out? <laughs> yeah, aggressive. <laughs> yeah, bold and aggressive. Uh, so we, there's an opening day video where there's a few shots being played, and the bunkers are very steep and bold and aggressive. And in the combination of this idea of providing a, a little more width, uh, some of the trees that we needed to impact to provide better growing conditions that I think we all felt these course maybe demanded true hazards. So these bunkers are hazards. They're not for the faint of heart that <laughs> you need to avoid them. Uh, I do not see the players bailing out in bunkers. I just don't, I think they're probably might, hopefully there are not too many complaints about them, but there are going to be some bunkers that are more maybe in keeping with an open championship where you're going to play sideways potentially out of some positions. Um, there are penalties, but we tried to get them in position where they're thoughtful and that the, the best players in the world are going to have to negotiate them. Um, another kind of mindset that's a little different on the East course than other places is that Oak Hill's blessed with 36 amazing golf holes. And the mindset really was on the East course to make it challenging. That was a primary driver. So some of the bunker shaping and bunker positions were really meant to put a premium on hitting golf shots. 
And so when you get in them, recovery is a chore. Um, how many trees were removed during your work at Ocal East? So I, I get the question about how many trees often. And the reality is it, it was the right number. Uh, we had a long discussion about it. And I would, I would take what's happened at Oak Hill, any other course in the country, around the world for that matter. And I think there's some lessons to be had. The first is that there was a great inclination of the membership and Dr. Williams, who planted a lot of the trees originally, to go from a fairly stark landscape that not a lot of trees, you know, it was a farm kind of setting, and try to get it to mature fast. And what you end up doing is you start to plant trees where they look okay for today or maybe even tomorrow. But over the decades, they start to have issues. And at Oak Hill, there continued to be a, a mindset of, of placing trees in gaps and trying to get a you know, very tree-lined golf course. And I don't think there's any harm in having a tree-lined property. In fact, I think Oak Hill will always have great trees and we're, we're working to protect the ones that are there and, and protect it for decades to come. But when you start to have trees that are growing together, that if you lose one in a storm event, or you lose one because of a pest or some sort of damage, and that one is gone, and the rest that surround it are not in good shape because they've been overcrowded or they've grown into one another, then all of a sudden, now we don't have anything to work with. And so I, I remember a specific situation on the right side of number eight where a number of younger trees had been planted, and the anticipation was to plant them for today, but the mindset has to be you have to work through it that as they grow, what were eight become six, become three, become maybe two. And I think golf courses can really learn that lesson of if you want great majestic trees, you have to give them space to grow. And little trees become big trees. I love saying that. <laughs> it's so obvious, but it's the truth. And so you started to see these majestic oak trees that were once planted with a 15 or 20 foot canopy that were perfectly fine where they were planted. But when they get a 60, 70, 80 foot canopy, now they're halfway over the fairway. And that's where you have to make some critical decisions. So there was a lot of that thought and discussion at Oak Hill. In reality, we spent, I know we had at least one town hall meeting where all we did was talk about trees and a lot of thoughtful discussions and wanting to make sure that we protected the legacy of, of what they had. But the reality is that we needed to find balance. And I think we did that. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast is in part brought to you by Fat Cork. Fat Cork works exclusively with small family-run grower champagne houses to bring you a taste of the highest quality cuvées from France. These are the kinds of champagne families that have passed their crafts and traditions down from generation to generation. Fat Cork picks up all of their champagnes directly from caves in France and ships them in temperature-controlled packaging to Fat Cork's cave in Seattle. The heart of Fat Cork's business 
is their champagne club. Members can choose from one of three tiers uh, with different amounts of champagne shipped to you and different price points. So check out the champagne club at fatcork.com. Um, in addition to the Champagne Club, check out Fat Cork's Mother's Day packages. Mother's Day is definitely not a fake ass holiday. That is in the ad copy. Yeah, they put that in the ad copy. I so they, for, I think that's for uh, Brendan. That's for Brendan. That's that's a that's a shock and start reference there. Brendan is not happy about the fake holidays. Mother's Day <laughs> doesn't qualify as one. So go to fatcork.com/mothers, or just go to fatcork.com and navigate from there to find their Mother's Day packages. So a variety of stuff. Fatcork, a uh, really fun um, uh, business that we've been working with, and they they've had some interesting uh, branding uh, explorations lately with their their Patrick Cantlay champagne and their Sungjae champagne. So uh, what what have you seen of that, Andy? Yeah, it's 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 an awesome company, and uh, they're they're uh, they're golf nuts. So it's it's always nice to support golf nuts uh they uh they they've they've kind of done pga tour player comps for champagne so you know the cantlay the cantlay uh champagne is very deliberate it takes it takes a long time to make that it's a slow burner but it's an excellent champagne much like patrick cantlay's excellent at golf they've got other ones such as like just another guy champagne like the best daily champagne which is uh, represents jordan spieth so it, it's uh it's awesome the mother's day packages has those four champagnes that are that are golfers so uh visit fatcork.com use the promo co- code golf for ship free shipping which is not insignificant shipping alcohol is not cheap thanks to our friends at fat cork and now back to our pot about oak hill all right andy we're back that was Fred Belts and Andrew Green talking to us about, you know, their their thoughts about Oak Hill. And we're gonna give our thoughts about Oak Hill now. This is this is our opinion about the course. So why don't we get into it a little bit? First of all, what do you think are some of the significant strengths of the East Course at Oak Hill Country Club? I'm gonna zero in on two things that really stand out to me. Um, a is the history. This is a course that has hosted pretty much every major men's major championship under the sun. Um, they have three PGAs, three U.S. Opens. They hosted a Ryder Cup, USAMs, um, senior senior PGAs. But, you know, I think the thing, when you go to a course with history, it just lends something to the broadcast. You know, it lends something to the product. Like, that's the way millions of people experience it. Is mm-hmm. It's, it's the gravitas, lens. right? Yes. Oak Hill has gravitas. Exactly. They, it just, it adds when you, you know, to that telecast when you can, it adds levity. Like, to the, you know, this is what's happening. This has happened here before. You know, while the holes are going to look a lot different than the last time we saw when Duffner won. Um, and, and even the Sean McKeel uh, when it's, it's the course is going to look different, but the holes are pretty much the same holes and you get these moments. And I think that's one of the things that bring, that makes Augusta so special, for example, is that you're not just trying to win a major, you're, you're trying to add your name to history. And when you go to these, visit these courses that have a lot of history, it adds, um, it adds to the championship. It's a big additive. So, that's kind of my first thing that I think with with Oak Hill, it's impossible to ignore the history. Who's won there? I mean, you got Jack and Trevino. I mean, it it's a special place um, in terms of like just major championship golf history. Um, 
The second thing, which I think is really important for this golf course, I it doesn't have, you know, the trees are really the defining feature. It's It doesn't have like, it's not going to be LACC with like this like incredible canyonscape in a in a major city. It is a Parkland golf course. And one of the things that Parkland golf courses, like they don't show quite as well on television. You know, they can just kind of feel monotonous. They can feel a little bit, you know, a little blah sometimes. You know, if you think about the course, like Baltusrol would be a good example where everybody obviously rained. Everybody was like an upheaval about Baltusrol by the end of the week. I mean, everybody forgot about it like uh, two months later that that it even happened. So like this is one of the things that can happen with, with Parkland Golf. The thing that Oak Hill has going for it I think 12 through 18 are really strong. And I think it's got a phenomenal closing stretch. And why it's great, there's a lot of variety. You've got short par four. You've got a, a couple mid-length par fours. You've got a couple long par fours. And you've got, you've got a short a, par three. Yeah, you have a short par three. I don't know if it's going to play that short in the championship, but I'm talking about 15. Yeah. And it's kind of a postage stamp concept that I think people will enjoy. Also, you have a really, really hard par five. Like, you know, one of those par fives, like I think some guys, if the conditions are right, can get home in two, but it's going to be like a a big task to get home in two. On 13, you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So you have like this really nice variety in terms of like just the holes being way different from each other and they don't come in succession, right? So 12 is kind of like a mid-length par four dramatic like the key features there dramatic bunkering really beautiful bunkering it goes up so it let you know them build these like big bunkers into it in a cool angled green 13 you go into 13 and it's really cool topography it's a long par five and it goes down and there's the famous hill of fame full of trees with with uh you're gonna hear a lot about the trees and the the, little, and the plaques, uh, on, plaques the trees. on the yeah. trees. So that's their hill of fame. It's like their most, you know, decorated people uh, from their history are on this hill on the right. And it's kind of like a punch bowly green. It's a really cool green site, a hollow, great topography. Um, 15 or 14 next is the short par four, which is going to be really fun to watch. Any short drivable par four left kind of falls off uh, into no man's land short you're in these deep bunkers and i'll be interested to see if guys lay up i could see laying up being an option i could too yeah and you don't want to be right either yeah and you don't want to be over i mean it's sort of almost a volcano type green it's not purely that but you know it's a good short par four in the sense that it makes use of this very severe part of the property the green is way up in the air and so it's sharply uphill and the protection is basically the topography. Yeah. Because if you go for the target and you miss it, you're in big trouble around the green. Where if you lay up, whereas if you lay up to the fairway before the green, you have a fairly simple wedge in. You can be pretty confident that you're going to hit this green with your second shot. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be a highlight of the telecast 14 and 15, especially because you have a, a short risk reward par four followed by a very nerve-wracking par three where hitting the target is absolutely a must. Yeah. You know, on 15, if you miss right or left, you're in 
big, big trouble. You've got to hit this target. And so there's going to be this great tension, I think, around that shot. And it's coming at just the right part in the round. You know, the 15th hole, you've only got a couple of holes left. So, yeah, you have a big opportunity with the 14th hole where if you try to seize the opportunity, it might go wrong on you. And then you've got the 15th hole where you just need to step up and hit that green. And I think, like, you talk about the diversity of features, right? You have, like, kind of uh, topography playing in on 13, topography on 14 with some built features. 15 is pretty much just a built feature. Like, that is... You know, you, you created short par three, really, you know, the green super severe. It's got a big ridge that runs right down the middle of it and it create it makes the target smaller. So it's already a small target, but you need to be on the right side of each ridge to have a really good look at birdie, right? It's not, it's not one of those things where you can hit it 15 feet right or left of the flag and be in a good spot. You have to really take on the flag for a good look at birdie. Um, so you kind of have like this, you know, in 16, I think 16 is an interesting hole in the sense, like it's going to never, ever be anybody's favorite hole. Nobody's ever going to play Oak Hill and be like, Hey, you know, the 16th hole just blew me away. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. a subtle hole. It, it kind of like, I think the thing I like about it is it's going to be a hole where you earn, you can earn a birdie. And that's really going to separate you, right? It's not like in, it's just one of those, if you hit two good shots, you can make birdie hole. And what I like about it is it's not like just like super hard where everybody's hanging on for four, like you have on 17 and 18, but it just gives another variety. It's like that mid-length par four. You can kind of score on it, but if you get out of position, it can bite you with a, it, it gives you a nice variety of full scoring especially in the mix because then mm-hmm. 17 and 18 are brutes you right. know really hard par fours so you just have this nice mix mid two mid-length par fours two long par fours a short par three a short par four and a long par five it just like it's i i can't think of many courses that have that kind of variety and and the and the features are different like so 17 is a converted par five and it kind of plays up and over into a green that's well defended. There's a bunker short left on the right side. What I love about the hole, the right side, Andrew Green constructed these hummocks, mm-hmm. these chocolate drops, as right? People, which might. are going to start to be associated with Andrew Green. He did similar stuff at Inverness and uh, some of his other courses. He executes these features really well. So, like, I mean, I'm going to be really curious. Are players? I I kind of think players would prefer the the bunker shot to this ground feature. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think that the lies can be so weird in so these weird. little hummocks, right? You can have these really sharply downhill, uphill, side hill lies, and your ball is sitting in this rough that makes the shot really unpredictable. I mean, we all know that pros can hit a shot out of sand, especially the type of sand that we see at professional tournament venues. It's pretty predictable. And the pros know that they can hit a certain shot. They can spin it. They can get the ball up in the air. And they're pretty comfortable with that. What they're uncomfortable with is an unpredictable lie in the rough because they don't know how the ball is going to come out. And then when you enhance that with these weird lies that come about when you have such sharp, small features... 
you know, you've never had a more uphill or downhill lie than you'll have if you're on the side of one of these hummocks, right? That just doesn't normally happen on a golf course. Yeah, it's and like so kind they'll, of being they'll be really like, out of their comfort zone on this. It'd be like when your ball doesn't get all the way down into the bunker and it catches yes. on like an entry lip type yep. situation around the greens, or you're on a side hill into a bunker, like into a deep bunker. It's a uh, it's not a fun place because like you can it's so easy with long rough on those to have a, a like your club head grab and like literally shank a ball like mm-hmm. there are there are such a wide range of things so I love those hummocks and again it speaks to the variety that's not a feature of any hole from twelve through eighteen except for seventeen and it's it's introduced a few other places on the course but. It's a really defining feature of that hole. And then 18 is just your quintessential dramatic. I feel like it's just like a dramatic for, uh, Northeast finishing championship golf par four where yeah. you play up to a ridge in the fairway and then there's kind of a low and the green sits on another ridge and you have to hit, you know, probably mid iron. Yeah, I don't know what the pros are going to hit. I mean... I had a three wood yeah. <laughs> into this green when we played. Not uh, from the back tees. <laughs> not from the back tees at all. No. I, yeah. Again, that's not a very good way to judge what the pros are going to hit. But uh, I think I th- it's going to be a long shot in there. I hope it's a mid iron. I hope that we see some long irons and hybrids as well because that shot is a, a burly shot. And it's sort of like, you know, it's a different type of hole. But it reminds me a bit of Southern Hills finisher, mm-hmm. which was such a highlight of um of that pga championship and uh you know it's it's just one of those holes that looks like a finishing hole if you were to show me a bunch of random pictures out of order of oak hills holes and ask me which one would you want to be the championship finisher i would point at this 18th hole it just feels like that it has that that drama that grandeur that size and so I think it's going to be really satisfying. And also there's the natural amphitheater around it, yeah, uh, which I think will be cool to look at as well. It's just like a quintessential f- closing hole. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a classic, right? Yeah. yeah. The, 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 there is clearly Ross knew what he was doing when he put that hole there, um, knew that it would serve its purpose really well in big time championships. So, so that I think just that closing stretch is going to really stand out. And I think it, it really carries the load for you know a the rest of the course like you know i think the beginning eight holes are pretty sleepy i mean there's gonna be some like high scores on they're hard but i don't think they're necessarily like extraordinarily compelling golf holes but where it needs to be compelling it is you know and that and i think there's some like there's some train train racks waiting for you in the first first you know eight holes and I guess this is part of the reason that I'd say that I like Oak Hill as a championship venue, even if I don't really like it that much as a golf course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for amateur play especially, but just for kind of playing a full round of 18 holes on a regular basis, Oak Hill would not be one of my first choices in the area of Rochester, <laughs> right? But for a championship golf course, 12 through 18 is so strong that you can just kind of focus on those holes mm-hmm. in the telecast. Even if you're watching on site, you can stay on those holes. 
and just see what's happening there. You don't really even have to pay attention to the beginning of the golf course. Now, do I wish that the beginning of the golf course was really strong, you know, like Augusta National having those great, if less famous holes on the front nine and being able to kind of dig into some of those details if you're a nut about it? Yeah, I mean, that's great to have. Oak Hill really doesn't deliver that, but it's okay, right? Because the finishing stretch is really great and you can kind of focus your attention there for the four days that the championship plays out. So at at least there's that. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a shot because I was just looking for a healthy way to start my day and get off on the right track. I take AG1 first thing in the morning, right before I take the kids to the bus stop, and it just gives me an immediate boost. I feel energetic, I feel healthy, and I know that I've gotten my nutrients for the day. So Andy, how is your experience with AG1 going as we're traveling right now? Oh, it's amazing. So, uh, you know, one of the things if you sign up uh, for AG1 with our, uh, our URL is that you get a some free travel packs. I'm on the road a, a decent amount of my life. One of the things that's super hard when you're on the road is staying in some sort of a healthy groove. You know, you're eating a lot of meals out, you're, you know, doing things. One of the things I love about AG1, they have these really convenient travel packs I just throw in my suitcase and um, I'm able to stay in a healthy routine. I find, you know, I found this year that it, by taking AG1 first thing in the morning, I get I get some water. I know this sounds silly. You could just drink a cup of water. I love coffee. It's hard for me to just like, I always prioritize the coffee over the water. But with AG1, if I drink that first, I get the water in me. I get the nutrients and, and like, you know, really it, it has helped me with energy levels when I'm on the road. Um, and, and that's super important. I get kind of ground down by the end of these trips with early mornings, late nights, and, uh, it really helps me out. I've, I've really been happy with, uh, AG one and, uh, and they got a pretty good offer for us, uh, with the pro with the URL. Yes. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then athletic greens is giving you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com slash the fried egg. That's athleticgreens.com slash the fried egg. Check it out. Let's let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, I think, like you said, I'm excited for this championship. Uh, you know, Oak Hill as a golf course doesn't necessarily excite me as in terms of a, a golf course to go play where, where are your chief, you know, the things that kind of hold you back from loving Oak Hill? Well, I think that a lot of it is just what Oak Hill is or was originally. I don't think it was one of Donald Ross's greatest courses, or at least I don't think it was one of Donald Ross's courses that I liked the most, right? Essex County Club, another Donald Ross course in the Northeast. That is a delightful, wonderful, beautiful golf course. And it's so much more appealing to me. Way different style. Way different style. Well, I think a lot of that's presentation, too. A lot of it's presentation, but also the golf holes. The golf holes are just a little bit quirkier, a little bit more fun, more playful. And maybe that has to do with the time in Donald Ross's career. Essex County Club came about earlier. 
But I don't know, just comparing it to other Ross courses I've played, there's just a little bit less of a sense of play in the design at Oak Hill. It's a serious golf course. It's a grave golf course, right? It's you're, you're there to do a job when you're playing that golf course. And your job is to show that you can hit big time golf shots. And that's fine for a championship. But for me as a player, you know, looking for fun in golf, I don't necessarily get it from Oak Hill. And I don't think that that's necessarily something that we can attribute to Andrew Green or even to Robert Trent Jones, who renovated the course in the 50s, or to the Fazios, specifically Tom Fazio, who worked on the course in more recent decades before Green came in. I don't think it's necessarily any of them who turned Oak Hill into this course that I don't really love that much. I think it was honestly that way from the beginning. And so I just want to say that I think that Andrew Green really improved this golf course, and he did some great work there. I think that his bunker styling, the way he constructs those mounds, the way that those two things tie into each other. The green expansions. The green expansions are awesome. You know, the little corners that he found where you can put pins now. Some of the contours in the greens are really interesting, too. I I would say that I see some more fun and quirky greens at other Ross courses, but there are some really good, interesting greens at Oak Hill that Andrew Green was able to bring out because he expanded the green to the edges of the green pad in a really wonderful way and found some interesting shapes and stuff like that. So I think that a lot of the work that Green did at Oak Hill was really successful. He removed a lot of trees. I can't believe that he did that. <laughs> I can't believe that he persuaded this membership to to remove this many trees because this membership is very devoted to that part of their history where one of the original founding members, as we heard from Fred Belts, planted like 70,000 trees. And that's like a great story that that they love to tell within the membership of this club. They have an acorn as their logo. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really deeply rooted in the history of this club that they love their trees. And Andrew Green was able to remove a lot of them to enhance views across the property, to enhance airflow, improve agronomy, and also some playing characteristics on some holes. Now, there were some holes where he wasn't able to re remove, I don't think, enough trees, uh, especially number seven and number eight. I think trees get in the way of the strategy of those holes, but I'm impressed that the green was able to do what he did. Um, so with that said, you know, uh, I, I think that green is a talented restoration architect with that said, th this is, this is not my favorite course. <laughs> you know, I just think that the, the first 11 holes, especially there are some real clunkers in there there are some real boring holes i mean one one's like the perfect example one's, it's nothing right I think yeah that, describe that hole what, I what, think, yeah i think like this is the thing and i i i'm not saying that every course needs to be 18 great holes like there are there are lots of courses with with holes but there are there are far too many kind of snoozers at oak hill for it in my opinion to be thought of as like one of America's great, great golf courses. Mm -hmm. You know, the first hole is a perfect example of that. It's really just like a nothing hole. It's to get you out to the second tee. You tee off, you know, there's a creek that runs in front of the front of the green. Tee off into just a dead flat floodplain. And there's nothing that's super interesting. The green's okay. It's a it's a fine green, but there's no 
real interest in the golf hole. You know, you just hit it into the fairway and hit it onto the green. That's right. And, yeah. and that, and that it, right there is really kind of like, I think like my big, um, you know, if I was going to say my big critique on Oak Hill is so much of, of Oak Hill is your traditional execution test. And I think some people like the execution golf test as a major championship venue. If that's your taste, that's fine. For me, you know, I think where I was probably the most disappointed with where it went is, and I don't think this was really, I think this was more of like, hey, you know, hosting major championships is super important to Oak Hill. It is like, you know, it's Rochester Club, it's Rochester, New York, and what it's known for, what it's famous for is hosting major championships. And this restoration, renovation was done with how do we get more major championships here? And, you know, oddly... With what happened with the PGA, I think it really kind of, you know, it moving to May hurt its chances of of long term major championships. Like I don't know what majors are are really options for them after this year, right? It doesn't appear that the USGA is going there anytime soon. Um, but one of the things that I just don't like is that Donald Ross built this golf course with like significantly wider fairways. I would say 50 to 70 yards wide. Yes. Big fairways. Big fairways, which accentuate this. This isn't a mind-blowingly awesome top, uh, topographical site land. The land is not awesome, but it's good. Mm-hmm. It's good land. There are what, big, broad slopes that you could put big, broad fairways on. And when you put those fairways, when they're there, you put match the, the topography with the fairway scale, yep. like Southern Hills last year. Yes. It presents this grand golf course and it presents this, it just like it's a brawny place and the fairways just don't match it. Yeah. It'd be like having like this massive living room and putting like a single love seat in it. You know, it looks stupid. It would look dinky. Yeah. Right. So yeah. at this golf course, it becomes such a execution test. And there's, you have these really cool nooks that were recaptured in the greens, like back right wings. But you have no way to get to a different place to play into them. It's just you you have a singular focus off the tee is hit the fairway because they are very narrow fairways. And they shouldn't be narrow. Is yeah. the thing that that really gets me about the place is that you have a mismatch. It it just it looks a little silly. It it diminishes the dynamic nature that could exist at the golf course with the greens. And you know, it's really what I think is quite interesting about the majors. This major to L.A. is you are going to get to see really the the current trend of championship golf, which I would put in the vein of last year's Southern Hills, this year's LACC, the presentation, wider fairways, more options to play into greens, allowing the the land, because the land can be a hazard when it's short grass. Mm -hmm. It can't be a hazard when it's thick rough because the ball just stops. You know, it doesn't roll into bad places. So anyways, you get the trend of new age championship setup with LA versus the your your father's you uh, you know championship setup with Oak Hill. It it's a very it's a very Robert Trent Jones setup. 
I don't think this is Robert Trent Jones shaping or green styling or anything like that. And I think that there's a respect for history that's different from what Jones did in the 50s. But in terms of the rough, the type of rough and the width of the of the fairways, it is, I, I think, pretty Jonesian in its philosophy. And that's a little bit disappointing to see at a Ross course. And I think what you're getting at is that the missing part at Oak Hill right now is the possibility of angles and angles making a difference or position in the fairway making a difference. I think that there is some possibility with the greens restored as they are that there could be angles at Oak Hill. Now, I think that these angles are pretty muted and maybe not that interesting because in the original design, what you can see if you just look at an aerial of this course is that a lot of the greens are oriented square to the line of play. You don't have many greens that are angled to one direction or another so that there's kind of a preferred angle for playing into the green or an advantage to be gained uh, for hunting one side of the fairway over another. Now, one hole that's an exception to that is 12, and that's why that hole sticks out so much. That's why that hole really feels fun and uh, and a little bit eccentric because the green actually is kind of narrow and angled in one direction. So you're, you start to think, oh, how can I position myself to play into this green effectively? But the rest of the greens at Oak Hill, pretty much all of them are kind of these more square constructions where, you know, if you're in the middle of the fairway, that gives you the most options for attacking the totality of the green. But Yes, these little corners were recaptured. And so you can see a possibility of maybe there being a semblance of lateral strategy at Oak Hill. But what they didn't do in the restoration, and I think that uh, the the key thing that makes this not a restoration is that they did not recapture the original width of the fairways. Or even try and get close. Or, or, or get even close. I think the fairways are just as narrow as they were in the last PGA championship, they are really no wider. I, I see some places on some holes. You can see this in the book that Oak Hill actually published. <laughs> uh, we picked up a copy of that when, when we were there. And you can compare the Ross fairways to the current fairways to the fairways as they existed in 2013 after Jones and Fazio had come to the course. And they really didn't find any extra width from what the fairways were when Fazio worked there. Um, I do think that they found some expanded approaches to the greens. Um, you know, there used to be sort of that bottleneck or that hourglass feel into a lot of the greens, which is unappealing. And so it's good that they widened that out and provided more places for people to run the ball onto the green. So I think there is some more width there, but in terms of the landing zones for tee shots, they're really not any wider. They're just as narrow as they were. And I think it dulls the course. It, it makes the course feel one-dimensional. And that's why you might, especially in those first 11 holes, start to get a little bit bored with this golf course. Yeah, uh, I think like it's, it's interesting. Like where I would say an underrated aspect of having that space, the, the fairways being a little wider, is when people get in trouble. When people miss the fairway, when they find themselves in these uh, these massive, magnificent groves of oak trees that are at the course, is like the idea, if the pin's back right, of me punching out to the front left 
and then getting a really nice spot to chip in from versus a player that might not be thinking like that or might not control their their punch out well and they end up over like short right and they just have a way different tough shot like angles play out in so many different avenues of golf it is not strictly about the simply the approach angles like it is is a lot like width really makes recovery way more interesting also and i think that's like the thing we were playing we had our event at uh soul park and i typically there's a boomerang green out there um it's the fifth it's if you're on if you're it's this it's got this great the, the fourth the fourth hole it's got this great central slope and effectively a right green and a left green divided by this massive slope and i usually hit a good tee shot like i think in like the 10 times I played it I always hit a good tee shot yesterday I hit a bad tee shot and I was like legitimately the pins on the left and I'm hitting a layup like I'm trying to hit a three wood into a like into the area I want it to and I'm thinking to myself you have to get this left you have to get this left like it was like honestly like one of the most like pressurized shots was the recovery and it only works because there's enough space for me to get left if it was a 20 yard wide fairway i would just be saying just hit the fairway or maybe i'm trying to hit it into the left rough which is not nearly as fun because then i got it over left and i hit a wedge to a couple feet and you know so i think recovery is always the underrated aspect of width is the idea of like and especially with par fives like the 13th, more width allows for more interesting layup shots. And a lot of guys are going to hit layup shots there. Yeah. No, I love that point. And it it uh, reminds me of something that I always notice when my dad and I play golf. Because my dad, you know, hits it really straight, but doesn't hit a tee shot much more than I would say 180 yards. Sorry, sorry, dad, for, for airing you out like this. <laughs> but that's just the fact of the matter. And then he hits these kind of like chippy five irons to get into position. He plays par fours as three shot holes. And what I've noticed is that angles are so relevant to him. Basically, he hits his tee shot. And then with his next shot, he's looking to find a side of the fairway to play into the green effectively. And that's sort of like a recovery shot yes. that a professional player would play. If you're off the corridor, you're suddenly playing a par four as a three shot hole. And in that instance, these kinds of angles really matter. And it also matters that those spots, those ideal spots have some short grass that you can play to yeah, give you, you the sh- option to actually pursue a strategy on the hole. It, it Yeah. So, I mean, if we wanted to synthesize really what Oak Hill I think that one of the things that it does is it really removes the idea of ever like having thought outside of please hit the fairway. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that's the real missing ingredient of, of the golf course as a whole. I would love to talk a little bit. I think like where you can find interest in the, the first 12, 11 holes, like, you know, we've talked a lot about this, um, but where I think there will be significant interest is on the holes six and seven, two back-to-back brutish par fours. Where, Very long, yeah. Yeah, I mean, super long. I think six is going to, six, there's going to be some carnage on six. 
I think there's going to be some carnage on seven too. Yeah. I mean, that approach shot is so hard and, and you've got trees kind of in places that are forcing you to, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that it's going to be really hard to hit the green on seven. I think that the green and regulation uh, percentage on seven is going to be super low, but yeah, you're right on, on six, six is a, is a new hole basically, mm-hmm. right? It was, they, they got rid of a par three that was in the middle of the property and that allowed them to extend the uh the sixth hole uh down allen's creek a little bit and reposition the green so now it's a much longer par four with uh with a hazard very much in play yeah so both these holes play along allen's creek that's um especially off the tee those are where you're gonna have to contend with this it runs down the right side of both of them um you know the i think the the sixth green is probably maybe the most interesting green on the golf course it's kind of got some raised plateaus you have to hit it really in the right section and there's a giant central nose to the green that really like messes with everything there's going to be a really tough back right flag front left then you have the creek that you have to contend with and it should be a pretty interesting hole to watch professional golfers contend with obviously if you play out left off the tee you're leaving yourself with a much much longer approach shot um but it could be an advantageous shot to play into the back right where you get a much better angle in there and ability to kind of run it in mm-hmm. um, because it is a long hole. Like you're going to have, you're going to see these guys, especially depending on the weather, if it's cold, like you could see some long irons from guys on these, on this hole in particular. And then seven, as you alluded to, I think you got some trees. It is so narrow. The effective driving area of, of seven off the tee is about 10 yards. To where you can approach any pin without having to contend with trees. There's a tree that overhangs the left side of the fairway and a tree that overhangs the right side of the fairway. And it's a pretty neat kind of shallower green that's wide. So, you know, this is an example of where like with a little bit more space, all of a sudden it could be, hey, if I get over here, I got a much better shot with this long approach to get it over to the left side of the green or to the right side of the green. But you have these trees that kind of prohibit you from playing anywhere but down directly down the middle of the fairway. And there's a creek on the right side. You should incentivize people to want to get over there. Yes, that, that that well, that's the thing about the the strategy of the hole right now because of the trees. I think that the original concept of that hole is that the more that you play toward the creek, uh, whether it's on the right or the creek, the creek actually crosses the fairway kind of on a diagonal from short right to long left. If you get up toward the creek on the left, then you shorten your approach. If you play out to the creek on the right, then you you give yourself a, a, a decent chance at a nice long approach into the green. But right now, what you have is if you play out to the to the creek on the right, kind of short right, then you're blocked out by a tree that's kind of short right of the green. You have to ha- hit a big slice uh, basically around that tree to get to the green. And then if you want to be more aggressive off the tee and play kind of long left toward the creek, you have to have hit a big hook around the trees that are on the left. And so I'll be curious to see what players do on that hole, because if you play right, you're really blocked out. Like, I, th- 
I wonder if they're going to be able to just hit it over the tree. I wonder if they'll a, just go straight over the trees yeah. on the left and they'll find that little uh, sliver of fairway. And I wonder who's going to be able to do that. Yeah. Because I think basically what the hole is now is that the the really long players are going to be able to attack that hole and the shorter players are going to have no avenue to attacking that hole. Yeah. Nine is another hole that is, uh, you know, just would be such a dramatic uh, hole with, with a wider fairway. Yeah, probably uh, the best topography on the course yeah. is on nine. And know? it's a cool hole as is. Big false front, big dramatic false front. Yeah. Um, it is It is a really, really neat hole. One question I have for you is, um, do you think we're, this is going to lend itself to a a bomber's golf course? I think it is. And I think that one thing that, our friend Joseph Lamagna might say about this course. And I don't know if he's going to say this, but just looking at it, I think it might be the case. I think it's going to be one of those courses where a really wide miss is almost better than just a slightly wide miss off the tee. Because, you know, you're going to be in rough in either case. But if you miss really wide, you're going to sometimes be wide of kind of the tree line that goes down the size of these fairways and you might find some open spots out there, like way off the corridor of the hole. You might find some places where really there aren't many trees and you can get back in the hole pretty effectively. So I think the guys who are very long and not necessarily super, super accurate are going to eat up this course, especially if it's wet. I think it could end up being the type of championship that we had at Beth Page, yeah, where it really seemed like in that tournament, Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson were Rory. really and Rory, Rory. Rory had that horrible start and then backdoored his way into like, of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he he had a chance too. He was one of the players who had a chance. Yeah, John John Rom probably did too. Gary but. Woodland played well. Yep, um, another long power player. Spieth had like a you know everybody. Oh, George Spieth finished third way back third with like a historic <laughs> putting week. Like he made, I think he gained like 10 plus shots. He was on making the putts from yeah. like, you know, so, 50 feet, 60 feet, just all so over the place. Yeah, finished, that was I think crazy. He, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he finished like eight shots back and he, he wasn't in yeah and yeah. gained 10 plus shots on the greens so yeah. like if you take that down to five he finished 13 shots back like you know um i yeah. think um, the, the two guys who were in that tournament were brooks and dj that's what it came down to and what we might see at this championship you know if it's firm then okay different set of circumstances if it's a little bit soggy then i think we could see something pretty similar where two or three of the longer, more powerful players just kind of dominate and separate themselves. Is that Cameron Young music? Cameron, yeah, Cameron Young could might really, really like this I golf mean, course. A kid from the Bronx <laughs> and goes to Western New York. <laughs> That's true. This is his home state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, you know going going back to the streets of New York. Yeah. Uh, um, the I think like. A lot of people are going to be asking about the fluky winners, and and I I don't want. I feel like this is gonna this is getting casted on like Jason Duffner as a fluky winner. At that time, 
Jason Duffner was not what Jason Duffner is like the last five years. He's one of the best ball strikers yeah. in recent history. I exactly. mean, this guy's a golfer. Like, he's not a very good putter, but he he was fine enough in that area for and, a while. And, and he was in the mix at like the PGA that Keegan Bradley won. That's right. You know, yeah. like this is not kind of a like, brutal era for golf, to be honest. Yeah. But, but yeah, but Jason Duffner is not a schmo. He had he had a good like five years where he was a a top twenty player in the world, and and I think so. Is he a is he like an all timer like Jack or Trevino? No, Sean McKeel. Now, like my thing is my like people are going to ask like why did this produce Sean McKeel? Why you know has like this golf course has the opportunity to present some weird names on the leaderboard? I think, and that is because it is going to be so hard to hit a lot of fairways at Oak Hill. You could drive it great and hit like 55% of the fairways. Yeah. Because they're narrow. They're just 20 yards wide. And a tour player's average dispersion is like 45 yards wide. So that means like you're just not going to hit a lot of fairways. So what happens when you don't hit a lot of fairways? Like it, you know, like one guy might get just like red hot. And if a shorter hitter gets red hot, he might hit a lot of fairways for a couple rounds, right? And that's how the only way that this could happen, like, or a long hitter might, you know, like we might see one of the long hitters get just like flukely statistical aberration, you know, hot and hit a lot of fairways. Right. And if something happens like that, that's how you can get a fluky winner. When you have narrow fairways, I think it just gives you, it opens you up to best player not winning. Is there a similarity here with winged foot? Mm-hmm. Now, in that case, Bryson won, and I think everybody I think the- recognized that he was one of the best players in the world at, at the time and did not feel like a fluky winner. But does this course feel pretty similar to that, or does the I topography a make more it different? To- it's, it's a kind of in-between uh, Wingfoot and, and Bethpage. And Bethpage yeah, I, I agree. Think. I agree. It's like it doesn't have quite as much um, up and down as, as, as Bethpage. The thing with Bethpage is it's so long, it's narrow, and it's you know, the thick rough to the elevated target. To the elevated greens, yeah. And Oak Hill has a number of elevated greens, but, you like, think, it's not... There are also some greens that yeah, are Yeah, like, one sits down, two sits up, three is just a long par three. You just have to hit a long mm-hmm. shot. And then four has a green that's at at, at the level of the ground. Par five, yeah. five, par three, six, it's... You have to carry it over water, but it's low. Seven's up high, eight's flat, nine's up high. It's Ten's, not... It's not all that flat it, it's a little bit elevated uh-huh. as i recall but not not like hugely elevated like nine tens down yep, yep. uh 11s par three 12s up 13s up 14s up 15s kind of at grade or 16s at grade 17 is at grade 18 is up. Is up. so it's kind yeah. of like a mix whereas yeah. like if you went ran through beth page a lot of them are up right um so okay. I think it's kind of in between. I, I I feel like we had like a major course maybe in between in between the two um, recently that would fit the bill, but I'm I'm drawing a blank. But uh, but yeah, I I think it's uh, I think it'll definitely skew bomber. But I think like somebody that gets hot and just hits a lot of fairways. Fl- Listen, like I think it's when the fairways get this narrow, it's kind of fluky. Maybe we're due for a fluky winner too. Because we've had a run of majors recently where we've had a lot of satisfying winners. 
a lot of winners where we say either, yes, this is the hottest player in the world right now. It makes sense that he won, like Francesco Molinari, or a player who is one of the potential all-time greats, right? So, you know, John Rahm winning a major is uh, not surprising or dissatisfying anyone. And so, yeah, I think that there's a possibility that we could see somebody just sort of pop up. The other scenario, as you mentioned, is is bomber domination, which I feel like is is something we, we could see as well. Yeah, I'm interested. I, I, you know, I'm thinking through courses like it's got a little bit of Tory Pines to it. Yeah, yeah. But it's got the trees, which you know, where Tory, like you can miss a mile right, mile left, and be fine. Well, what I'm talking about is, I mean, Tory has a few trees. Yeah, but. If you miss way wide at Torrey, then then you're kind of in open area. And Oak Hill has some of that going on. Less of it than Torrey. But I think that wide miss, super wide misses at Oak Hill could be could be kind of okay. Um so uh We'll see. I mean, it's a, it, you know, the course that it could play a lot like if it had a little bit more space is is the country club. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. If it, it just doesn't have enough width, though, like at at the country club, like good driving was was very rewarded, right? Yeah, like that's the thing that gets me is you could have a great driving week here and hit fifty percent of your fairways. Yeah, it is. It's really narrow, and it's it's funny because the country club wasn't that wide. It wasn't that wide, but, but it's, it's just definitely like, wider than, you <laughs> than give, no you, like eight yards makes a huge difference when you're just asked to hit into these thin ribbons all. Uh, every hole it just you're just there's no way for you to like sustain a great driving day yeah all right well i hope that we have given you all listeners some gambling advice now maybe the fried egg podcast is the the real gambling podcast at this you're point trying to step on the shotgun starts yeah, exactly we're getting we're starting to edge into the shotgun starts territory with this uh with this great uh you know advice for uh course fit and stuff like that but um, hope that gives people an idea of what to expect with Oak Hill. Anything else we want to touch on, Andy, or do you want to wrap up here? I think this is uh, this is good. We'll have more content coming, and uh, look for really looking forward to the week at, at the PGA. Like I said, that closing stretch is going to be really fun to watch. I agree. All right, thanks, Andy. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast was produced and edited by Matt Ruchis. Thank you, Matt. If you'd like to support the Fried Egg, the single best thing that you can do is join Club TFE. That's our membership offering. Go to thefriedegg.com slash membership to see what Club TFE is all about. It's uh, a lot of content that we're producing for Club TFE, including a weekly course profile. Uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, I published a, a thorough profile of Oak Hill where I just uh, gave a, a, an in-depth analysis of the golf course and uh, talked about a favorite hole or two, talked about a least favorite hole or two, and gave the course a rating. So uh, if you'd like to see that along with some amazing visuals from Andy and Cameron, then that's in our Club TFE membership. So that's just one of the many things that we offer through Club TFE. Again, it's thefriedegg.com slash membership. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon. <laughs>